Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Adam. I'm so glad that you have joined us as we continue on in our series called The Fight of Your Life. And this morning, we're talking about the strongest man who ever lived and how he did not put up a very good fight. This man's name is Samson. And so right off the bat, I actually want to give us a window into the last few moments of Samson's life. So parties are nothing new. Even back in the Bible days, people threw parties. And the Philistine people, they really knew how to throw a party. They packed more than 3,000 people into the temple of their god, Dagon. And this party was to celebrate the victory over their worst enemy, Samson. Samson had killed more than a thousand Philistine men in battle. And so they were celebrating what they believed was the victory that their god Dagon had given him. And the highlight of that night was actually a guest appearance of Samson himself. And so some Philistine men went to the prison to fetch Samson. They had to unshackle him from the grinding wheel where he had been grinding wheat all day long. A job normally reserved just for donkeys. And they had put Samson to forced labor to make him feel like he was nothing but a worthless grunt. And now they had to lead Samson by his arms because he was totally blind. And he just had empty sockets where his eyes once were. And so they led him to the center of the temple where he was a spectacle in front of all of the people for them to make fun of Samson and to mock his defeat. And in that moment, Samson had hit rock bottom he was at the lowest of lows. So how did Samson get to this point? And that's the question that we'll be answering this morning. If you would like to follow along with me in your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. Now the book of Judges is about the time period after the Israelites had come out of the wilderness. And now, now they're living in the land that God had promised them. And during this time, they do not have a king. God is supposed to be their king, but they're not doing a very good job following God and keeping his commandments. And so they get caught up in this cycle where they would disobey God and reject his commandments. Then God would raise up an enemy nation to defeat the Israelites. And then after living under the oppression of their enemy, the Israelites would call out to God for help. And then God would rise up a leader to deliver the Israelites from their enemies. And these leaders were called judges. It's not because they oversaw a courtroom or had like a powdered wig or anything like that. These guys were mostly just warriors. And Samson was one of these warriors that God raised up to deliver the Israelite people from the hand of the Philistines. Now maybe you've heard the debate before of whether heroes are born or made. Samson was a hero that was born for just this occasion. So look at me with at Judges chapter 13 and verse 5. And this is where an angel of the Lord comes to Samson's mother to tell her about the son that she was about to have. It says, You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So right from the start, Samson is dedicated to God. He is what's called a Nazarite. And if you've never read this story before, you probably have not heard of a Nazarite. So as a Nazarite, there were three things that Samson was not allowed to do. 
He was not allowed to touch any kind of dead animal. He was not allowed to drink alcohol or even eat grapes. And then lastly, Samson was not allowed to get a haircut. And as Samson grew up, God blessed his life and the Spirit of God was in Samson. But from a pretty early age, Samson started down a slippery slope of starting to make compromises in his faith and started to break some of the rules that God had given him as a Nazarite dedicated to God. And it all started when he was in the Philistine land of Timnah. So Samson's exploring the Philistine land, and he sees a beautiful woman who is very attractive to him. Now, if Samson was a good Israelite boy, he probably tried to, would have looked for a girl on like IsraelOnly.com or something like that. But he was exploring pagan mingle. And so he comes across this girl, and he tells his parents, he's like, I just saw a girl that I really want to marry, and she's a Philistine. And his parents are like, Samson, come on, can't you find a nice Israelite girl who follows after God? And Samson's like, no, this is the one. I want to marry her as soon as possible. And so since he was so set on marrying this girl, his parents were like, all right, fine. And so they help him to arrange this wedding. Look at uh, verse 5 of chapter 14 with me. And so this is when they're going down to Timnah to arrange the wedding. So Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. And when he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. So there's a little detail in these verses that I think can be pretty easy to miss. It says that on his way to Timnah, he was walking through the vineyards of Timnah. Now what's a guy who's not even allowed to eat grapes doing in a vineyard? And we don't know for sure that he broke his vow as a Nazarite, but it, it gives us the first picture that Samson, he might be putting himself in situations that are not healthy for him, and it might be a compromise in his vow as a Nazarite. And it gives him one step further on this slippery slope. And this is the first time that we see that God gives Samson superhuman strength. This lion jumps out at Samson, he probably doesn't even flinch. He just grabs that lion and tears it apart like someone tears apart a young goat. Now, I don't know if that's something the Israelites have experience in, like tearing a young goat. Like, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. But apparently uh, that was something that was pretty easy to do. Now, let's go ahead and look at the next verse in verse 8. It says, Sometime later... When he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them where he had taken the honey, that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now can you imagine walking around town and coming up on some roadkill? And then seeing that there's some bees swarming around in that roadkill, you reach in, 
pull out some honey and eat it. That'd be pretty gross, right? Well, that's what Samson does. And it's not even such a big deal that he eats this honey. But what is a big deal is that he breaks one of the rules of being a Nazarite. And to get to that honey, he touches the carcass of this dead lion. And so that's why he did not tell his parents at all where that honey had come from. And in that moment, he broke that rule, and it seemed like he got away with it. And so one compromise just led to another. Let's look at verse 10 now. It says, His father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. So Samson throws this wedding party, and the word for feast here also means a banquet with wine. And so a guy who's not even allowed to eat grapes is throwing a drinking party. Now can you imagine Samson bringing in the kegs of wine and then filling up his shot glass with some water and then telling the boys, like, I'm a Nazarite dedicated to God, I don't drink. I think the chances of Samson doing that at a drinking party is like 100 to 1. And, or, well, 1 to 100. Like, Samson most likely made a compromise here and ended up breaking his vow as a Nazarite. And so these compromises and his devotion to God started to become a habit in his life. And fast forward a little bit, Samson isn't even married anymore. Actually, on like the last day of his wedding celebration, he got super mad at some Philistine guys because he lost a bet. And so Samson just storms out of there and goes to live with his parents. He totally ghosted the girl that he just got married to and just left her there. And so this girl's father married her off to another guy who was at the wedding. So the moral of this story is, if you get married and go on a honeymoon, make sure you take your wife with you. All right. So now Samson is single. He's ready to mingle, and he's about to get himself in some trouble here. Look at uh, chapter 16. In verse 4, it says, Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Samson meets this girl in the valley of Sorek, and Sorek is a Hebrew word that means valley of grapes. So here Samson goes again in a place that he probably shouldn't be, and he loves this girl, who I think loves money more than she loves Samson, because she is getting bought out by these Philistine rulers. At this point, the Philistines hate Samson's guts. Through the power of God, Samson had killed over a thousand Philistine men with just the jawbone of a donkey. And so now his girlfriend is getting bought out by the Philistines to figure out the secret to Samson's superhuman strength. Look down at verse 6. It says, So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. This is basically like somebody saying, Hey, if I was going to break into your bank account and steal all of your money, how would I do that? Big red flag, right? There should be alarm bells going off in Samson's head that this girl is bad news. 
But you know what? Samson likes her attention. He can play this game. And so he just tells her a lie. He says, you know what? If you tie me up in seven bowstrings that have not ever been dried out, then I will become as weak as any other man. So now, armed with this new knowledge, guess what Delilah does? She ties him up in seven new bowstrings, and then she has a bunch of Philistine guys hiding in the nearby area. And then she yells to Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And so Samson wakes up, and he just snaps those bowstrings like they're nothing. So obviously, that's not the secret to his superhuman strength. And so Delilah asks him again, Samson, you lied to me. All right, what is the secret to your strength? Now, at this point, Samson is seen as a trap. He tells this girl the secret. She tries to tie him up and subdue him. Shouldn't he know that this girl is bad news and he should put as much space between him and her as possible? I think so. But what's probably going through his mind is, I can handle it. Samson had been through some pretty rough situations before, and he had always come out on top. And so this is just a game for Samson. So he tells her another lie. He's like, you know what? If you tie me up in two ropes that have never been used, then I will become as weak as any other man. And so guess what Delilah does? She ties him up in two ropes, and then she yells out to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And Samson wakes up and snaps the rope like they're little pieces of string. And now Delilah is really mad at him. She's like, you lied to me. You don't love me. She's trying to make him feel guilty for lying to her about the secret to his strength. She's basically saying, you need to help me hurt you. Okay. So Samson still just goes along with her game. And so he tells her another lie about the secret to his strength. He tells her, you know what? If you take my hair and you weave it on a loom into some fabric, then I will be as weak as any other man. And so Delilah tries it and finds out that is not really the secret to his superhuman strength. And so she just started nagging him day after day after day, trying to figure out the secret to his strength until finally Samson just breaks down. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, then he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. And so the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands, after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. I think it's so interesting that Samson tells Delilah that he's a Nazarite, that he is dedicated to God, even though everything in his life points to the exact opposite. Samson had just made compromise after compromise. He had broken the rules of touching a dead animal, 
He had most likely broke the rule of drinking alcohol. And those compromises in his obedience to God, they hadn't wrecked his life all at once. And so Samson was thinking, like, what's one more compromise? How bad can it really be? Obey God, give in to Delilah. Obey God, give in to Delilah. And so he tells her the secret to his strength. And then after his hair is cut, he wakes up, and he thinks that he can still beat up these Philistine guys with the super strength that God has given him. But he finds out he really is just weak as any other man. And it's not because his hair gave him superhuman strength. It was never his hair. All along, it had been God giving him this strength. But Samson just made one compromise too many. And finally, God's spirit just left him. And he was taken by the Philistines and ended up in bondage. And it might look like it was just one bad choice or one climactic moment that led Samson to bondage. But really, it was all of those little choices leading up to that moment that placed him in bondage. And Samson's life is an illustration of the reality that the habits that you allow today are going to determine who you become tomorrow. And the person that you are down the road isn't so much determined by your circumstances or even your desires of the kind of person that you want to be. The kind of person who you are down the road is determined by the choices that you make on a day-to-day basis, the kinds of habits that you build into your life or even the habits that you allow. And the choices that we make, they build up, they add up and gain momentum, kind of like the domino factor. Actually, fun fact, if you keep doubling the size of a domino, it only takes 29 dominoes to knock over the Empire State Building. And so I think it's a picture of what's true in our lives. The little choices that we make, they start to add up and compound, and they really do make a difference for where we end up in the future. There's a guy named Stephen Covey who says, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. See, nobody wakes up and decides that they just want to totally wreck their lives. But we can all get to that point just one compromise at a time. And maybe it's Snapchatting that guy or girl that You're doing it just for attention, and you know that you shouldn't date them. You do it anyways. You end up in a dating relationship with somebody that you probably shouldn't be with or doing things in that relationship that don't honor God. For those of you who are married, maybe this compromise is having emotional conversations with somebody of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. Or maybe it's compromises in what you watch late at night when nobody else is around And these might seem like just small compromises, but there's really no such thing as just a small compromise because they all add up and start building momentum. And this isn't just about making good choices so that we can have a good and successful life. This is about living in obedience to God so that we can be the men and women that God has called us to be. And God had a high calling on Samson's life. Samson was to be the deliverer of Israel. And even through his disobedience, 
God was still able to use Samson in an incredible way. Samson, single-handedly, through the power of God, was able to wipe out more than 4,000 Philistine warriors. So if that's what God could accomplish through Samson's disobedience, imagine what Samson could have accomplished through God through his obedience, if he took his calling seriously and lived in the way that God had for him. And if Samson had done that, there's a pretty good chance that he would not have ended up in bondage. But Samson, he was just pursuing his happiness, and he thought that all of his choices and those little compromises that he made were leading him on the path to living the good life. But the reality is that sin promises freedom but brings bondage. And I know for myself, whenever I disobey God, I sin because I think that my sin can offer me something better than God can offer me if I live in obedience to him. And sometimes it really does feel that way that my sin offers me something better, but at least only for the the short term. And the reality is that sin leads us to bondage. And maybe you tell yourself, I can handle it. Or you think that you can control a certain habit or sin in your life. But then you go on for a little bit. And that thing that you were trying to control, it starts controlling you. Or maybe it's turning to gossip. Gossip offers interesting conversation and people will want to come and talk to you. But you keep giving into that habit can be so destructive for your life and you end up hurting a lot of other people as well as yourself. Or bitterness. Bitterness offers us a sense of justice. And so when you hold on to bitterness, it might feel like you are putting somebody in their place or you are getting payback. Maybe bitterness just feels good. But bitterness robs you of joy and doesn't only hurt you, but it hurts others. Or maybe you turn to alcohol to offer you a good time or to give you relief from some of the stress in your life. But then excessive drinking turns into an addiction that controls your life. Or maybe you're really wrestling with pornography and watching things late at night and you don't want anybody to find out. Maybe you're at a point right now where you feel like you are in bondage. The good news is that you don't have to stay that way. Somebody told me just a few weeks ago, That sin grows in the dark and it dies in the light. And what that means is when you bring your sin to the surface and you tell somebody about it, you don't have to tell everybody about your sin and air your dirty laundry, but if you tell somebody about it, then you can get that help that you need to finally put that sin to death so that you're not hiding it anymore or trying to cover it up and keep that sin close to you. And so that's why we all need friends in our lives who can be a good influence and to help us make good decisions. And maybe you have friends like that in your life already, but you're trying to keep them at an arm's length because you don't want them to know about some of the habits that you really have in your life, or you don't want them to know about some of the things that you are really struggling with. And so you try to keep some separation between you and them. And just an interesting side note on Samson is I don't think he had any really good Israelite friends. Even at his wedding feast, it says in chapter 14, verse 11, When the people saw him, 
they chose 30 men to be his companions. So, so Samson hosts this wedding feast, and this tells us one of two things about Samson. Either he didn't have any Israelite friends who would even want to come to his wedding, or Samson's friends did not want to come to that wedding to support the fact that he was marrying a woman who did not follow after God. But even still, Samson did not have somebody who was speaking into his life. Even the advice of his parents, Samson totally did not listen to them. And so this is why it's so important for all of us to have somebody in our lives who can help us to make decisions that line up with the way that God wants us to live. And as we close things up this morning, I just want to leave us with one final question. And that is, are your habits moving you towards freedom or towards bondage? And if you're not sure, maybe if you feel like you are just walking the line, there's a good chance that your habits are leading you towards bondage. And my challenge for you this morning is to identify just one habit that is leading you towards bondage and then to take steps towards overcoming that habit. One of the best first steps that you can take is just to talk to somebody about it. Now, don't tell somebody who will just be like, yeah, man, we, we all struggle, it's okay. Tell somebody who can really come alongside you and help you take those steps to live in obedience to God. And then my second challenge for you is to identify at least one habit that will help you to draw closer to God. Maybe that's the habit of reading your Bible on a daily basis or finding a certain time of day that you're going to set aside to pray to God. Maybe it means getting involved in a summer small group. This is a lesson that God has been teaching me lately. I know it doesn't sound super profound, but growing closer to God is hard work. And sometimes it is really inconvenient. And it's not enough to just want to be close to God if we're not taking those action steps to actually get to that place. And I believe that we can all be the men and women that God has called us to be when we take seriously his commands and we, when we walk in obedience to him. And I believe that God will give us the strength to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the example of Samson and even to know that you use imperfect people to accomplish your plans and purposes. And God, everybody here this morning, we are all imperfect people. Uh, but I thank you for the truth that even though our sins are many, your mercy is more. That when we call out to you for forgiveness, that you don't hold our sin against us, that it doesn't have to hold us back anymore. And I ask that we would make the decisions today on a regular basis that will help us to be the men and women for you that you have called us to be and help us to surround ourselves with people who can be a good influence in our lives and help us to take those steps that will draw us closer to you because that's what it's all about, God. I thank you for your strength that helps us to do that. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.